I think you have some future dancers and choir members and Zumbathoners and if you can't be happy after that, I don't know what would make you happy around Christmas time. So again, Merry Christmas. It's a delight to be with you. So glad that you are here. I have some good news and some bad news for you. Are you ready for the good news or the bad news? It really is. It's the same news, but it's dependent upon your perspective. You and I, over the next week or so, if we haven't already, are going to be spending a lot of time with some people. And for some of us, we're going to be spending a lot of time with people that we love. And for some of us, we're going to be spending a lot of time with people that we have to love. Some of us are going to be spending time with people that we get to see. Some of us are going to be spending time with people that we have to see. Some of us are going to spend a lot of time with people that we choose to be with. And some of us are going to be spending a lot of time with people that we have to be with. The truth is we're going to be spending time with people. The reality is, what does it actually look like? And here's the thing. Some of those people that you have to be with or get to be with or want to be with or are forced to be with, that you are in love with or have to love, some of those people just happen to be family. You're all looking at me like, don't go there, Pastor. How many of you would like some wisdom that will help you to receive them in a whole new way? The truth is this. The family that you're going to be spending time with in many respects is your family of origin. You had no choice in becoming part of that family. None of you got to choose what family you were going to be born into or the circumstances of that birth. Some of us have been spending years trying to figure out how we can disavow that family of origin. Like, you were just hoping that you could prove that you were adopted. Some of us have spent years trying to get rid of that feeling because we felt like we were adopted. And we desperately want to be part of the family. But here's the other truth, and this is a powerful truth. Not only do you have a family of origin that you have to be around or that is your family, but you also have a family of choice. The truth is this. God, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, says this. We're going to get to Ephesians a little bit later. We're going to look at what God says about family and being part of his body, but this is the truth, that all the citizens of heaven are part of God's family. God chooses to use the word family to describe being part of his kingdom. And the truth is this, God, if you are a citizen of heaven, God chose you not just to be a citizen of heaven, but God chose to put you in a family. You have become the family of choice for God. And the same is true in our lives. We have family of origin, and you can't change that, but we do have family of choice. You do get to decide who your family is. Now, listen very carefully to me. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you don't spend time with your family of origin. But what I am saying is this. There are times in our lives when we get to choose who's part of our family, who we're going to spend the most time with, and who we are going to give the deepest parts of our heart and our affection to. Sometimes they are our family of origin. But other times they're the family that we get to choose, and many of us get to choose the family of God that's here. And so I want to encourage you as you go into Christmas and you get to be with people that you love or people that you have to love, that you choose powerfully who are the people that you allow to speak into your life, to have the deepest, most intimate parts of your heart. And you, look, you, you live out of that family of choice into sometimes your family of origin. You bring that to your family of origin because you are the ones who bring the Spirit of God into places where there is darkness. Want to talk about that this morning? Sounds good. Here's what fascinates me. God chose to send Jesus into a family. We've been looking uh, at Jesus being sent and what it means for us to be sent. That's been our, excuse me, our, our series for this month. 
And we've talked about how Jesus was sent in love, how he was sent on mission, and how he was sent with power. Last week, we looked at how Jesus was sent in power to Mary, how he literally was delivered to Mary in a way that was powerful and impossible outside of the work of Holy Spirit. But today, we're going to look at how Jesus was sent into a family. Because Jesus didn't, wasn't just sent to Mary, Jesus was sent into a family. Here's what fascinates me. Do you think that the family of Jesus was his family of choice? Do you think he was with the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit and they were discussing, hey, where are we going to land you when you come to the earth? Like, who's going to be your family? Do you think Jesus was looking at, like, at, at adoption profiles? And he was like, all right, let's see. All right, I know that Joseph and Mary are not married yet, but that kind of works in our favor because it's got to be miraculous. And she's a, she, looks, she doesn't have any kids yet, but she looks like she's going to be a really fun mom. So I want to go into that family. And Joseph, like, he's got this carpenter thing down. Like, I'm not going to start my ministry for 30 years, and so I might as well hang out with somebody and do something worthwhile, working with wood, working with stone. That sounds good to me. Like, I don't want to be a weak savior. I want to be a buff savior. So, like, let's, uh, let's do this thing. I, I just wonder. I, it, I can't tell you theologically this is how it happened, but I, we, I do know this. I do know that Mary was chosen, that Joseph was chosen, that God chose to put Jesus into that family. In fact, if you read the beginning of the Gospels, the begats, the stuff that we normally skip over, that was God saying, I intentionally chose from the beginning of time to put my son into this family. It's one thing to be the family of choice for God to decide, hey, Mary and Joseph, you get to have the Son of God. But can you imagine Mary and Joseph and Jesus' brothers, because the Scripture tells us he had brothers, having to grow up with Jesus? Like like all of you have a a golden child in your family, right? And some of you, you are the golden child. Yeah, I saw that. I saw the hair flip just there. But can you imagine literally growing up with the Son of God? in your family, like you could never win a fight with your brother. He's, he'd always be right. Parents, can you imagine, like I grew up in my family and we were taught that my mom was always right. <laughs> but can you imagine growing up parents with a child that was literally always right? That never sinned? Like you walked into a room and you saw a mess and there was nobody to blame? except for yourself. So we, we see Jesus was placed in the family. And here's the truth. The family, in God's wisdom, there's something to be gained about the wisdom of God, about contemplating the wisdom of God, of putting Jesus into the world, into a family. The family that Jesus was put into was God's framework for his son to be sent. Don't miss that. There's something about family. In fact, family was not new. Family was from the very beginning of time. Jesus recognized this when he said this. This is the reason that a man leaves his uh, father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has united, let no man separate. God saw in his wisdom from the very beginning of time that a family was important and useful. And the framework which he would send his one and only son. But the family was not the only framework that God used. Go a little bit further back. God was literally sent. Jesus was literally sent, not only in a family, but also in a body. The God of the universe subjected himself to taking on human flesh, real flesh, and real blood. John, the apostle, describes it this way in his epistle. John 1.14, he says this. So the word became human, made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John, if you read his Gospels, if you read his epistles, was almost obsessed with the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. John was the beloved. John was the one who rested his head on Jesus' chest as they were having that final meal together. John was as close as you could be as a human being to Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that you and I understood, that the world understood that Jesus was not just a spirit, that Jesus was not just a phantom, that Jesus was not just an idea, but he was God in the flesh, a real human being. He was sent in the body. 
Anybody ever been in a theological debate? Do you know how to win a theological debate? You throw out a term, a theological term that the other person doesn't know. And you know they don't know it when they go. Anybody want to win a theological debate this next week? Now, you won't be able to win it with anybody who's here who remembers what we're saying. But what John was describing in in God becoming flesh, God taking on flesh, was what we call the hypostatic union. Everybody say hypostatic union. Look at your neighbor and say hypostatic union. Now, does anybody know what the hypostatic union is? It literally just means the union of God and man in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. See, now you got a theology lesson. Now you can win the debates. Just ask somebody this afternoon or later today when you have another party or uh, as you're getting with your family together, somebody's really acting up, just kind of throw that out there. Maybe just at the dinner table when the conversation lulls, like, hey, tell me your thoughts on the hypostatic union. (laughs) When people start debating impeachment, say, hey, hey, I got another thing we could talk about. How about that hypostatic union? And when they look at you funny, you can tell them, what it is, Cause it, but it, it's not just theology and it's not just about winning debate. It's actually something that's really important. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the word became flesh. This is joy to the world, the Lord has come. This is heaven and nature singing together in one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus was God's framework in his body to display the glory of God in the earth. This was humanity in its original glory without sin or without brokenness found in Jesus. In Jesus, we have the true display of what man in consistent, unbroken communion with God should look like. It's God saying, listen, humans, it's not just that I'm here and you're there. It's I'm going to come to you, and I'm not just going to come to you and set an example that you cannot live up to. I'm going to come to you and set an example that you can chase after because I brought you into relationship with my son, because I literally sent my son in the flesh to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, and to be raised again. I'm going to tell you in all of that what it looks like for humanity in the flesh to be restored to me. And we need that hope because otherwise we would just say, well, God's over there and I'm over here and there's nothing that I can do about it so I can just hope for some kind of mercy from God. That's not good news. That's every other religion. You can hope, but you can never be sure. What God did in sending Jesus Christ is you can be sure that this is possible. Because I do the miraculous, not just in the spiritual sense, but also in the literal, physical sense. I change the reality of the world by sending Jesus in the flesh. This is a huge deal. It was a huge deal to John. We said this already, but he wrote this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He said, this is how we know if they have the Son of God, referring to prophets, to those who would come and who would preach, who would declare things about Jesus. He says, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. This is how we know if they're true prophets. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. This is one of those tests. This is one of those big deals. He says, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. John is describing that spirit of Antichrist that rejects the humanity of God. It's called docetism. It's Greek from two different words where where they come together and the, the idea is the word, one Greek word means to seem and the other word means as a phantom. There's this teaching that has gone around that Jesus was not a literal, real person, God in the flesh. He was just an appearance, a ghost, a phantom, something that could not be reality. But what John says, listen, it's so important that we understand that that was not the truth. He was real flesh and blood because everything hinges on that. And if we can explain him away as just a phantom, then we don't necessarily really have to listen to him or we don't have to believe that God actually invested himself in our salvation. And our theology and understanding of the goodness of God starts to crumble. So John encourages us, especially around Christmas time. See, this is the the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is not that we have this little baby that came. 
It's not just that Jesus is the reason for the season. The true meaning of Christmas is not that it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus in the flesh. God with us. God coming into all of our mess, into all of our brokenness, into all of our depravity and darkness. God in the flesh invading this space. And Jesus coming shines his light so brightly. Not just as an apparition, but as a real human being. A real flesh and blood human being displaying the glory of God. Here's the great news because we've been going through an idea about being sent. Jesus was sent in a body, but he was not only sent in a body, he gave his body so that he could send his body. Let me explain it this way. In John chapter 17, verse 18, we've read these verses already as the foundation for our series, but here's what it says. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Who's he speaking about? When he's saying them, he's speaking about his disciples, his sent ones, you and me. Literally his disciples that were sitting with him, but he's speaking about us as well. In John 1.12, we read a little bit from John 1.14 before, but here's what it says in this. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the them that he's inviting in. You and I, as we believe in him, we have the right to become the children of God, to be the sent ones that Jesus prayed for. Think about this for a minute. Being children of God is not in just a nice phrase. and It's not just that he's invited us into his family, but it has large theological implications. St. Augustine of Hippo said this, For he hath given them power to become the sons of God. If we have been made sons of God, Listen to this. It's going to challenge you for a second, but we're going to talk about it. If we have been made sons of God, we have also been made gods. How many of you are uncomfortable with that statement unexplained? Am I the only one? Everybody in here think they're a god? Okay. This is what St. Augustine said. He insisted that it's by God's grace that we are made that way, not by nature. In other words, we are not born of his substance. We are not born again to actually be the substance of God, but that we should be the same as he is and by his favor should come to him. He's saying, listen, when we become sons of God, we have to understand that is not just a term, that's a literal transformation that takes place. We no longer just represent ourselves in the world, we represent our Father in the world. We are accurate reflections, we are called to be accurate reflections of God in the world. Now the reason why most of us are uncomfortable with that statement is because we know how broken we are. You can't tell me that I'm like that. Because I'm broken, but the truth is this. Jesus came in his righteousness and unbrokenness to display to us how we can live more and more unbroken. Two things are glorious about that. The first is this, that Jesus comes and saves us and sets us free and loves us and declares us righteous and justified without us having to do anything ever. Think about the audacity of that. Because he came in the flesh, because he lives a sinless life, because he died, and because he rose again, he can declare us righteous, just as if we had never sinned, holy and connected to the Lord. But also this, he declares that not only are we that way actually, but he declares that we can grow, we can become sanctified, we can become made more holy and more holy and more holy. His coming in the flesh demonstrates not only that we are in, but also that we can grow in him. We're going to look at that in a few minutes because his body has a purpose. Jesus explained it this way in John 17, 19 through 21. He said, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. In other words, his body sacrificed is for our holiness. And I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. See, the truth is this, church, we are his body. And if we are his body, then we are his framework to display his glory to the world. And he, Jesus literally says how that can happen. That happens as we are in connection 
with the Father. Jesus came and demonstrated that connection, and he prays that we would have that same connection. He said, may they be in us as I am in you, that the world may believe that you sent me. The church has been sent to give testimony to the fact that God sent Jesus. The glory that we display of God gives testimony to the fact that Jesus was sent by God. Think about that. When Jesus was on the earth and people had questions, there was a time when his cousin John the Baptist, who had been declaring, make way for the Lord, who recognized Jesus as the Son of God, there was a time where he was doubting. He was in prison. Things were not going for him as he thought they should. The kingdom was not advancing in a way that he thought it should be advancing. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus and he he said, ask him if he's the Messiah or if we should be waiting for another. How many times are we in those positions where we are following God, everything's going well, we're, we're boldly declaring who God is, we know who God is, we're ministering in the power of God, we're displaying the glory of God, we're making way for the glory of God to come not only in our lives but in the lives of others, but all of a sudden something cuts in, some situation, some circumstance invades our lives and starts to cause us to wonder if God really is who he says he is. The problem with that is that we have put our hope in God doing what we want him to do. rather than in him. And so John, in the very same place that many of us find ourselves, sends his disciples to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one? And what does Jesus say? He said, look at the signs all around you. What happens around me? What are the, what are the miraculous things? And he, they go on to describe, the, he goes on to describe the glory of God displayed in him. The signs, the wonders, the miracles that don't point to themselves but point to God because when we, like Jesus, display the glory of God through the power of God, on mission with God, by the love of God, like we've been talking about through this whole series, when we understand that we as the church are sent by God, we will display the glory of God to the world around us and it will convince the world around us that he is who he says he is. Now Jesus sent the church but he also understood something really powerful that we see in these verses. It's that the church would need union with him, that the church would be, need to be saturated with him and saturated with his presence to declare his message, to carry his message and show his glory to the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23 says this, and the church is his body and it's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. If we are going to display the glory of God, it is not because we are just that good. If we're going to display the glory of God, we've got to get over the fact that in ourselves we are not that good, but also get over the fact or get over the thought that we can't be that good because in Jesus Christ and full of his presence, we can be and are that good. Make no mistake, we are not Jesus, but we carry the presence of Jesus to display the glory of Jesus to the world. We are his body. Ephesians 4, 9 through 10 says it this way. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the incarnation. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus coming in the flesh. He descended into our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Why did he come? He came to give us his presence. Why did he die and ascend into heaven? He ascended so that he could fill the world with his presence, so he could fill us with his presence, so that we could display the glory of God. The people of God, filled with the presence of God, represent God God to the world. So what does this look like? What does it look like for the church to display the glory of God? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians uses the term body, as powerful language to explain how we do this. I'm going to talk very briefly about what the body looks like in action. Let's talk about what it looks like for the the body of Christ, the church of Christ, to be sent. Because he calls us his body. First is this, in Ephesians chapter 2.14, it says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He has united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hospitality, that separated us. The first thing that the church of God does to display the glory of God is break down walls. 
Jesus literally gave his body for our salvation, but also to break down the walls of hostility in between us. What does that mean? Paul was describing what the walls of hostility that were between the Jews and the Gentiles. Up to this point in human history, the only people that were allowed to come to God were the Jewish people. They were the people of God. And they carried that burden well sometimes, and they carried that burden poorly most of the time. What they were demonstrating was that a people called by God can choose to live with his presence or without his presence. And the truth is this, if we will walk with God or think that we are walking with God without his presence, we will fail miserably in displaying the glory of God. But if we will learn from the history of God's interaction with the Jewish people and we see that it's with the presence of God that the glory of God is displayed in a people, when we are willing to do things God's way, when we're willing to walk closely with him, we will display the glory of God. But up until this point, it was only the Jews that were allowed to do that. But in Jesus Christ, in his death, he opened up the kingdom. He opened up the family of God to all people. And literally with his body, he broke down the walls. And so here's the great news. You and I have had the walls broken down so that we could be the body of Christ and display the body of Christ to the world around us. And here's here's the even better news. It doesn't matter what political party you're a part of. You get to display the glory of God. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. You get to display the glory of God. It doesn't matter how you grew up and how broken your family was. When you were invited into the family of God, he broke down the walls so that you and I could display the glory of God to the world around us. And so there is no excuse that keeps us from together displaying God's glory. There are excuses that do keep us from that, but there's no excuse that's valid. God has called us together as the people of God, to display his glory. You don't even have to like the people next to you when we start out. But as we walk with God, he breaks down those walls and he starts to invite people in. What does that mean? That means this message is for everyone. There is not a human being on the earth that does not deserve to hear and see the glory of God in his people and be invited into relationship with Jesus. In fact, I believe that an accurate presentation of the gospel in word and in deed is a human right. It's the greatest human right. God invested himself in his literal body and gave it on the cross to break down those walls so that the people of the earth could be called together under the banner of Jesus Christ and to be brought into the family of God. The second thing that the church looks like in action is this. We are a dwelling place for the presence of God. In Ephesians 2.22, it says this, Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. God does not live in a building made with human hands. This building is not the church. The people of God sitting here and in sanctuaries all around the country and all around the world people who are worshiping in homes, people who are worshiping in prison cells, people who are worshiping on the streets, people who are worshiping in hiding, and people who are worshiping in cathedrals. If they name the name of Jesus Christ, we are the body of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, his presence dwells within us. But here's the truth. We are being made part of the dwelling place of God. How many of you know there is more room for the presence of God in your life? And so the hope this morning is this. Not that we fall short, And have to walk out of here and say, well, pastor beat me up, sure good this week, and I guess maybe I'll try a little harder. No, the truth is this. This is the prophetic prophetic preference of God. God's prophetic word over your life and my life this year is that we would have more and more and more of the presence of God in our lives. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I hope that you hear this. I hope that you hear in 2020 that you are prophetically destined, prophetically purposed to have more of the presence of God in your life in 2020. Not just you individually, but us together as a church. God has pronounced his prophetic preference over us 
His desire for us, the power of God that's available to us for this is that we would have more and more of his presence, that we would be made more and more into a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. Christ dwells in us personally, but Christ also dwells in us corporately. The third thing that the body of Christ does, the third thing that looks like the action is that we inherit the riches and enjoy the promise and blessings of God's children. Ephesians 3.6 says this, and this is God's plan. Not only is that we have more presence, listen, this is God's plan. That both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Look at your neighbor and say, your dad is filthy rich. Now that's great news, right? But how many of you know it's even greater news when we inherit those riches? Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're filthy rich too. God's purpose over your life, his joy over your life is to fill you and that you inherit the riches that belong to God's children. Scripture goes on to say both are part of his same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. Now I get it. There's a whole group of people around the world, and some of us fall into the same category where we just use God as a divine vending machine. And we see the blessings of God as the material blessings on our lives. If things are going well, we think that God is blessing us. And if things are not going well, according to our plan, we don't think that God is blessing us. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is this, though. God has intended for you and I to inherit the blessings of, his, of being a child of God. And he's called us to display his glory in inheriting and in using, and not just in, in using them, actually enjoying them. Have you ever met somebody that was ashamed of their wealth? I went to college with some really, really wealthy people. And it was a place where there was groups of people that would flaunt their wealth. That was, that was not the groups that I hung out with. The groups that I hung out with, most of the people that had wealth tried not to show it or display it. Because there was shame in having lots. And the problem is, as a church, we have taken on that culture. Where we think it's somehow God's purpose that we look and act and display our brokenness or our lack. There's a lie that goes around that the poorer you are, the closer you must be to God. And we all say, well, that's not true, but some of us act like it and some of us believe it. But the truth is this, God's purpose for you is to display, to inherit and enjoy and display the riches of the children of God to the world around us. What do those things look like? How about peace? And joy? And real forgiveness? And real harmony with other people? And real honor? for those around us. God's called us into his kingdom to live and display these things. And again, this is not a call to say, well, if you don't have those things, if you're really struggling with Christmas because it's a really stressful time, then you must not be inheriting the blessings and so therefore you need to try harder for God to do them. No, this is God's work in you. You just need to start to receive it. And it, don't receive it as a negative. Receive it as a positive. If God says this is his plan for you, guess what? It's his plan for you. And it's his plan for this body, for us together corporately in 2020 to receive more of the inheritance that he has set out for us. What's some of the inheritance he's given us? How about nations? God's given us the nations as an inheritance. Us, together. What would it look like for us to believe that that's true and to walk in it? To believe that you have a, you, each one of us together, each one of us has a part in this, have a calling to reach and disciple the nations. What would it look like for us to, to have multitudes coming to Jesus over and over and over again? Because our dad is good. Half the reason that people don't want to come to Jesus is because they don't want to come and be part of the family of Jesus as they see it. And so we need to become unashamed 
about enjoying the blessings of God on our lives. The fourth thing is this. God has called us as his body to do his work. Ephesians chapter 4.12 says, their responsibility, speaking of the leaders of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the leaders of the church, the gifts of God to the church, their responsibility is to do what? It's to equip the people of God, God's people, to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. It is not my job to be the minister for this body. I'm really glad you pay me to do it. Super privileged. But my job in leading this body is to equip with the power of the Holy Spirit every person in this place to do the work of God. It's your responsibility to do the work. How many of you are like, thank you, Pastor? Appreciate that. See, the problem is we have professionalized ministry. And this idea of a a, a priesthood. Now, I believe that there are leaders that are set apart. Do not get me wrong on this. There are leaders amongst us. There are people that are called. And I believe that a, a workman is worthy of his wages. That somebody who gives their lives to the gospel should be able to make a living off of that. But here's what I am saying. We cannot professionalize ministry because each one of us is called. And so there's this, this thing that has come out of the church universal through the Middle Ages that there were professional ministers. And we're just going to allow them to do it. I mean, it got so crazy that it used to be that, that the people of God were not even allowed to touch the elements in communion. Because you're too common, and you might drop them, and you might not handle them well. And so they had to be given to you or placed in your mouth for you. You're never allowed to touch them otherwise. And there were things like that that started to make this, like, let's just let the pastor do it. Let's hire somebody to do this for us. And the problem is, I'm not that good. Our pastoral staff is amazing. Our staff at this church is incredible, but we are just not that good. We cannot minister to every need in the body. We cannot reach every person that God has given us in our lives, in our neighborhoods, but guess who can? The people of God operating as the body of God, doing what God has called them to do in their function, are able to do all the work that God has called us to do. We have been called to do the work of the ministry together. So hear this and that. Not a negative, but hear this. Hear that you are valuable. Every single person, from the youngest to the oldest among us, from the most holy among us to the ones who are just, just got in by the skin of their teeth, are valuable to the kingdom of God. Now, God hasn't called you to just continually sit in that place for 20 years where you're just making it, Right? He's called us to grow more and more into his image, to display his glory more and more. But here's what he has called each one of us to. He's called each one of us to vital work of his kingdom. And so all of us get to wake up every day and say, God, what's the assignment for today? What's it look like? What's my place in your kingdom look like? What is kingdom advancement in my life and in the people around us, around me look like? Who have you called me to live and minister for today? What does it look like, Holy Spirit, to partner with you today to see the king, your kingdom invade someone else's life through me? Why? Because you and I have been called as, a, as the body of Christ to display his glory in the world. And his glory is not on full display unless all of the body takes its place. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you have to get up here and preach. How many of you are glad for that? How many of you are hoping that I would tell you that it was your turn? But all of us have something to do because this, this pulpit ministry is super important and I treat it with, with respect and I spend time searching scriptures and making sure that, it, that I'm connecting with what God wants for the heart of his people. But listen, this is not what ministry is. This is where the people who do ministry come to be encouraged to do ministry. 
So what does your ministry look like? Some of you can tell me right away. Some of you have trouble with that. But all of us can ask, whether we know what it is or not, God, what does my assignment look like? Because the truth is this. He wants to grow our assignment. So we've been faithful with little. He'll give us more. We've been called to do his work. And the last one is this, if the worship team wants to come. The fifth thing that the body of Christ does to display the glory of God in the world is this, to grow to be like him. That's what we, St. Augustine was saying in his statement that we, because we have been called the sons of God, we get to become gods. He's saying this, we have been called to grow more and more like him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Listen, I love the scripture where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And my ambition, one of my ambitions as a leader in my family and in this church and in the region is to live a life in such a way that I can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But that last part of that sentence is so important. It says, I follow Christ. See, if you follow another human being, you will eventually be let down. I know, I know you think I'm perfect. I know when you pray for me, you have such a hard time praying for me because, like in your minds, I've already arrived. But I just, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm not perfect. I have not arrived. But the truth is this. God has called us to grow every way more and more like Christ. The way you are today is not the way that God has created you to be tomorrow. The level of intimacy that you experience with God today is not the height of the intimacy that he's called you to. The level of power that you display in your walk with the Lord, the the level of Holy Spirit presence that rests upon your life is not limited to what you're experiencing right now. The level of mission that you live your life upon has not reached its zenith. There's more for you and there's more for me. The level of influence that God has given us in our lives is not capped at where we are right now. Thank you, Jesus. And the level of love that we experience from the Lord and towards others is not limited by what we feel and experience right now. God has created you and I and brought us into his body so we can grow to be more and more like him. He's called that for the church. The more and more we look like him, the more we display his glory in the earth. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, it is a privilege to do this with you. God has called us together to do this. And each one of us is necessary to display his glory. Do you want to hear his prophetic preference for you and I this year? For his church this year? Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work. And it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, listen, is healthy and growing and full of love. Close your eyes for a minute and and, and listen to this. God's purpose and plan for you is that you fit perfectly. Truth is, some of us don't feel like we fit perfectly in our family of, of origin. Sometimes we don't even feel like we fit perfectly in our family of choice. But God's plan for you, God's purpose for you in this year is that he would make you fit together perfectly within his body. His purpose for you this year is that you would do your own special work and help the body grow. 
And here's his purpose for you. Listen to this. That you would be, that we would be healthy and growing and full of love. With your eyes closed for a minute, just imagine what that looks like. First, imagine what that looks like personally for you, just you, not your family, not anybody else, just you perfectly. God's purpose for you is that you would be healthy and growing and full of love. Now think about your family. God's purpose for your family this year is that you would each be healthy and growing and full of love. Think about your small group. God's purpose for you is that each one of you would be healthy and growing and full of love. God's will and desire for this church and for this body is that each one of us together, all together, would be healthy and growing and full of love. God's purpose for his church in this region of all who name the name of Christ is that we would be healthy and growing and full of love. God has sent us together God has sent us together to be healthy and growing and full of love. So what does that look like? How do we access that? What makes this year, 2020, different than 2019? God in his wisdom gives us the answer to that. That we allow him to make the whole body fit together perfectly. That we are so full of his presence that we're just walking with him and he naturally brings us into that perfect part of the body that he's created for us so that we can do what? Just live there? No, so that we can do the work, the special work, the unique work that he's given for each one of us to do. Church, we've been called together as a body to display his glory. You know, I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning that has never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never joined the body of Christ by receiving his free gift of salvation, by believing that he is who he said he is and confessing with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. If you're here this morning, and this sounds great, but you don't know that you're part of the body of Christ, I'm not talking about joining the church, although I think this is the greatest church in the world, and you should join this church, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about joining the church of Jesus Christ, joining the body of Christ by surrendering your life to Christ. And if that's you, and you're here this morning, and you would like to surrender your life, I want to ask you if you would acknowledge Jesus as Lord by raising your hand this morning. You're saying, I am giving my life to Christ. I'm surrendering my life to him. All the heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. This is between you and the Lord, but I'd love to see and acknowledge that decision made today. Is there anybody here? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. The body of Christ is the most glorious family to belong to. We don't claim to be perfect, but we serve a perfect one who is ever perfecting us. Is there anybody here? All right, then let me ask the church. Body of Christ, are you ready to step into your prophetic calling in this next year. To do, to allow God to lead you and perfectly fit you into his body and do the special work that he's called you to do in this body. Don't stand up if you're not willing to do whatever he asks you to do. Well, How will you know what he's asking you to do? Some of you know already, he's speaking to your heart. Some of you, somebody who leads you is gonna ask you to do something small group leader or a pastor or a ministry leader 
will ask you to step into something in a new way. Or God might just whisper to your heart in the next few weeks, this is what I'm asking you to do. If you are ready to say yes to the Lord and say yes to the glory of God being displayed in his body because each part is doing what they've been asked to do, what they've been gifted to do, what they've been called to do. If you're willing to say yes to that, I want you to stand right now. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful for your presence. Jesus, we're so grateful that you ascended into the heavens so you could fill everything on earth with yourself and that you are doing that in your church to display your glory. We make ourselves available for the display of your glory to the world around us, first to each other and then to the world around us. God, and we stand today to take our place, to do what we know we've been called to do and to say yes ahead of time to whatever you call us to. Not only that your kingdom would be established, but that your glory would be displayed. That the church, your framework for your glory in the world until you return would be the glorious church that you have called her to be. We give ourselves to that in Jesus' name. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're gonna celebrate communion together right now and I can't think of a better way to end a service like this because Jesus gathered his disciples together right before he went to the cross. And he brought them into this intimate moment where he commissioned them. The words that we have read for this series, the scriptures that we have read about Jesus sending his disciples come from that dinner, come from that last supper together. And that's what we're celebrating today. So at New Covenant, we celebrate an open communion, which simply means this, that if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have been willing to say, I am the body, I receive the body of Christ, I surrender my life to the Lord, I received his gift of salvation, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you've called him Lord, then you're free to participate. You're welcome to participate. You're called to participate together. So invite everybody now to come down. Worship team's gonna play as everybody's served. Would you hold your elements here in the front and we will celebrate the Lord's table together. Make sure that you press in. There's lots of people here today. We want to make room for everybody. If you're here this morning and you'd like to participate but you're unable to move from your seat, um, just give a wave to one of the servers when everybody's past them and we'll make sure that you get, get the elements. to God the highest. Scripture encourages us as we come to the, to the table to do two things. One is to consider the body of Christ or to wait for others. So we want to make sure that everybody gets served. But while we are doing that, Scripture also very clearly encourages us to examine our hearts and consider the body of Christ in this way, that if there's some, two things, if there's some sin in our own lives, some brokenness, some offense against another or just against the Lord, that we deal with that before we celebrate the Lord's table. So I want to give you a minute now to do that there's something that the Lord's putting his finger on right now, just take a minute and confess that to him and ask for his forgiveness.
Scripture also encourages us to consider the body amongst us. If you have some unresolved conflict with a member of the body of Christ, I want to give you a minute to just examine your heart right now and take care of that. You may not have an opportunity before you partake to make it right with the person, but you have an opportunity to make it right with the Lord so you can partake and then go make it right with them. Just take a minute and think about that. Examine your heart. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took some bread and broke it into pieces and he gave thanks and said, this is my body which is given for you, broken for you. Do this to remember me. God, we're so thankful that you gave your body for us so that we could become your body. We remember the stripes that you took for our sake. And we receive the gift of your body given for us with joy and gladness and anticipation of what it means to be your body. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice and your blood shed for us that made us holy and puts us into relationship into covenant with you. We thank you that it's not based on our own goodness. It's not based on our own strength. It's not based on our own holiness, but it's based on your strength and your goodness and your holiness. And so we receive this covenant established by your blood. We remember it. And we declare not only your death, but your return as we celebrate today. Let's drink together. If you just stay still right where you are, Pastor Dan is coming to bless us with closing. I pray that this year, as you finish it out, and in 2020, my prayer for you is that you carry and display more and more of the glory of God than you have ever displayed before. May each part of the body take its place, find its place, enjoy its place, and display God's glory in its place. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just a few reminders before we we go. Uh, The ushers will be in back for your giving. If you're a guest here today, we're glad you're here. You're under no obligation whatsoever to give, but if God's done something in your life and you want to express that gratitude through giving, we're more than welcome to, we're more than glad to receive that. Uh, Extravagant giving, please remember to use the envelopes that are in the pockets in the chairs, or you can give online, or you can give through the app. Uh, Our guests, visit us in Guest Central in the lobby. We have some nice stuff back there. I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Don't forget Christmas Eve service, a great opportunity to invite friends and family to come. It's about a one-hour service, candlelight. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite services of the year. You don't want to miss that. Wonder Why Sunday, December 29th. There's forums in the back or online or on the app. You can submit your questions, things you've always wanted to ask but never had the opportunity to ask or to get clarified in your heart. 
take advantage of that. And again, or another reminder, you've heard it before, but on Sunday morning, January 5th, we're going to have 9 and 11 o'clock services. We're going to be continuing with our Thursday night services as well. The prayer team's available here uh, for any need you have. Don't leave this place if there's a need in your life you'd like to get agreement prayer. There is power when we come together. If two or more agree, our power in prayer is multiplied. Don't lack that opportunity. I know there's a lot of needs uh, represented here today. So take the time to pray with someone that knows people we know and trust that will pray with you and agree with you in faith. Amen? Amen. And also, there's a week of prayer and fasting coming up in January. If you don't know when that is, again, go to the app, or there's some flyers in the back. You can pick one up that'll tell you what's going on in the coming year. Father, thank you so much that you loved us so much. You didn't leave us alone. You sent your son to be born and to take on human flesh and to live and to die for us, Lord, that we could have relationship again with you. And then when he ascended, you sent your Holy Spirit and filled us up with your presence, Lord, so we can go out into the earth to our families, our friends, the places we work, into the marketplace, and display the love of God through the way we live, through the way we treat other people, through the look on our face as we reflect on how good you've been to us. Lord, use us to spread the truth of your goodness, your mercy, and your grace, especially during this holiday season, we pray, this Christmas season, in Jesus' name. And together we say amen and amen. God bless you in the name of Jesus.